0: meetup.com slash chicagognosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy.
1: Many students within the Gnostic movement often complain and write to us through emails, through letters, that they lack internal illumination, they lack experience, they want to know God, the being, the truth. And despite their efforts adapting and adopting many practices, exercises, still fail to truly experience that which religion teaches in its fundamental heart. And so we always write back to our students and explain to them that in order to have illumination, light, One must remove the darkness within the mind. That darkness is the ego, desire, craving, aversion, the self. If we do not comprehend and eliminate anger, resentment, pride within our daily states, we cannot have the light of internal experience such as through samadhi. In meditation, the body is at rest, and we as a soul go out into the astral plane, the mental plane, nirvana, or even putting the physical body in a jinn state, traveling in the fourth dimension. Things that Samael and Vior writes extensively about, in which, when people read, become inspired or inspire them to want to have these experiences. And yet they write to us asking for the way to have that knowledge. And so what we like to ask in being direct is, have you comprehended your anger within the day or recently? Lust. Desire. And so people want to have knowledge and light but are not willing to face the great ordeals relating to the 13th Arcanum which signifies immortality. So the number 13 in our present epoch is considered very unlucky. In many buildings within the city the 13th floor is absent. Likewise, The Apollo 13 mission, which was sent out into space, was a failure. And the men riding that ship nearly lost their lives. So people look at the number 13 and are horrified of it or feel that it is somehow jinxed. Ignoring that Arcanum 13, the number 13, is actually a very lucky number. For those who know the spiritual work, who know the path because for an initiate who wants to know the light the work on the elimination of desire the death of the ego is a very essential dynamic that one must practice if what one wants is illumination because within the ego is light trapped, but inverted in the inferno within desire. So if you extract the light from those elements, you free the genie in Aladdin's lamp. You break the lamp and then you have the pure consciousness which naturally has the ability to read thought, to travel in the jinn state, to speak face to face with one's inner god or the masters of the white lodge. And so... The number 13, therefore, for someone who is working on the ego, is a very lucky number. Very positive. Because the death of the mind, of negativity, is the immortality of the soul. It's rebirth. So people don't like the number 13. They do not like the topic of death. Physically, it is unpleasant for many people to speak and to think about one's own demise, one's end. But even more so for people who are attached to alcoholism, drugs, fornication, to speak about the death of the ego is even more blasphemous for them. Very painful. Because people are attached to rage, desire, egotism. They don't like the Buddhist annihilation in which if we wish to marry our own divine mother, goddess Kundalini, we have to fully eliminate everything that is impure. So physically, death is unpleasant for people, especially in the West. In the East, is different. But for North Americans, talking about one's death is definitely not cafe conversation, not pleasant. But when you teach people about Buddhist annihilation, death of ego, people run away, obviously. And the reason why churches, mosques, cathedrals, synagogues, Buddhist temples are filled with millions of people is because they do not teach the death of the ego. And of course, to speak about this directly creates resistance because the ego does not want to die. Desire wants to continue on into the next life, into some utopian heaven in which one can attribute all of one's evilness and not renounce all the garbage we carry psychologically. Just to believe that we're going to ascend to some higher plane of consciousness with all the baggage we carry. But as a fundamental law of nature, we gravitate to different spaces based on our psychological quality, our behavior, our manners, our mind. So today we'll talk about this very powerful card, how the soul becomes immortal through death. We'll talk about physical death, But more importantly, we'll talk about esoteric death, the death of desire, the end of the tyranny of the mind. So as I said, 13 is a very good card for initiates because synthetically, 1 plus 3 equals 4. The death of desire produces spiritual progress, immortality. And we know that the fourth arcanum of the Tarot, the emperor, the spirit, is born through this arcanum. So if we want to be spiritual people, we have to eliminate all that is diabolic to comprehend it and to work very diligently with the Divine Mother, Kundalini, our inner goddess. So let's look at the actual glyph. The most notable feature is a hierarch of the law with a scythe harvesting the grain. We see flowers that are blossoming, a representation of the beginning of life, but also of virtue, the emergence of pure psychological qualities of the soul which we engender through this work. The wheat is the full manifestation, maturity and perfection of those virtues and obviously the scythe is reminiscent of the angels of death who use a scythe and a funereal image of black clothes a hood a skeletal appearance in order to portray to those who are dying that their time has come and that the process of their life has ended, and also that they will enter a new existence, possibly. And we'll talk about this progress of the soul through different states in this arcana. But the fact that this hierarchy of the law is reaping the wheat symbolizes how, through maturity in this work, through the elimination of desire, of the ego, we harvest the full perfection of the soul its immortality its its beauty its development the wheat reminds us of the eucharist the grain which has been used in many indigenous cultures as a symbol of the reception of Christ into the body into the mind because the grain receives the solar light in the east The Christic substance, the Eucharist, the body and flesh of the Lord, has been signified by rice. Amongst the Aztecs, it has been corn. In other cultures, in Europe, wheat. Because that element absorbs all the life of the stars, of the sun. And we ingest those substances through the Eucharist itself in order to receive solar energies, that rejuvenate the heart, of which we'll be talking about uh, the practice of the Eucharist in Orconum 14, the next lecture. The fact that this man, or this hierarch of the law, of karma, is scything, reaping, harvesting, indicates that through the finality of that, of that action, Life has ended. And our death is merely the culmination of all of our past actions and should not be a deterrent or something to fear. Especially if we are working in this work, in this path, psychologically, eliminating fear, resentment, pride, anger, pain. Because by our actions, we receive help. So right now, we may be in the flowering of our life, young, or in our old age. But this should be no cause for fear, especially if we are sincere and working in this path because the hierarchy of the law of karma aids those souls who are working on the ego, on the mind. And so one is always assisted. At the end of our life, we reap the fruits of all of our actions. So all of our past deeds emerge within the consciousness and we review our existence. Many people talk about seeing their life in, fl- in flashes in the moments of death. And so that process for many people, can be painful. Especially because we tend to carry many attachments, many fears, many uncertainties of the unknown. But for someone who is awakening consciousness in this life, who is learning to die in the ego, is awakening more light, not only physically, but in the astral plane, when the body is asleep and we are in the world of dreams. And in those states, we basically gain the confidence and the knowledge of where we're going, where we are, where we will be. So someone who awakens and dies to the ego, who dies to the ego and awakens, has no fear. Death is merely a transition, a process, because by dying to desire, we experience immortality, new life within the soul. This reaping of wheat also refers to what we call in the fourth way school of Gurdjieff and Ospensky as the Bob and Candlenosts, which is a term used to denominate vital values. And by vital values or capital, we mean a type of energetic money that are deposited within each of the three brains, the intellectual brain, the emotional brain, and the motor instinctive sexual brain. These vital values are fuel. And depending on how we use these three brains in daily life, determines how we live and also how we die. So whoever has small grains, less vital values, has a shorter life. But someone who has a lot of that force... Deposited in their three brains, lives longer. And those values are given to us by divinity and also based upon our karma, which explains why some people live young, die young, or live to an old age. Those values are not something static, but something dynamic, changing. We can prolong our life based on how we use our energies in our mind, our heart, in our body. So we state in esotericism that one lives in thirds and dies in thirds. Because people tend to abuse the energies, the Bob and in this day and age. Which is why we see many sicknesses develop in people who abuse one brain over the other. Those who squander the vital capital of the mind. Develop insanity, schizophrenia, delusions, disorders of the mind, which are very traumatic and sad because people who use the intellect too much develop sicknesses in the mind. Their mind deteriorates, and therefore, those people die in the intellect. They have no fuel left to function properly which is why many of these people take chemicals, antipsychotic drugs, to try to find some kind of equilibrium in that center because they've wasted all of their vital capital. But what about people who abuse the emotions, like many actors and actresses? They develop many disorders of the heart, people who are filled with violence, with anger, with negative emotions, develop cardiac illness, as well as many other diseases relating to emotions, bipolar, depression. Likewise, those types of sicknesses are treated in our modern era with chemicals because that sickness has so condensed in the physical body from within the internal planes, from the astral body into the, into the physicality, that some type of physical Treatment is needed, may be needed. And likewise, we have people who abuse the motor brain, their instincts, their sexuality, their movement, such as with boxers, sports addicts, people who engage in a lot of physical activity, bodybuilders, people who exercise the body so much that they deplete their vital values in their motor brain end up becoming paraplegic, paralyzed, incapacitated, needing to exist in a wheelchair. You see that with many football players who have abused their bodies so much that some of them can't even walk. So we find that people live in thirds and die in thirds based on their energies. And we'll explain more about the Bob and Candelosts in this lecture. So this card is a card of death but also a card of life. It embraces two aspects, physical death and esoteric death. We see this card is related to Gemini in the bottom left. And Gemini is an interesting astrological sign associated with duality. Two brothers, Castor and Pollux. Pollux being immortal, Castor being... Mortal In the myth, Pollux was the son of Leda, likewise Castor. The difference between their lineage is that Castor was born from King Tyndarus of Sparta, whereas the father of Pollux was Jupiter, who married or wedded or copulated with Leda in the form of a swan a symbol of the Holy Spirit because Jupiter can relate to Binah and Kabbalah and so who are these two brothers? two types of soul we have one that's immortal and one that is mortal two qualities of the consciousness Tifereth as we've explained many times in our previous lectures so why Gemini relating to immortality? or to death because in the myth Castor died and Pollux pleaded unto Jupiter out of grief that his brother be raised from death in order to join him in the heavens in the constellations in which petition Jupiter acknowledged obliged so the soul can die in two ways The ego can be eliminated through conscious works, through initiation. Or the ego can drag one into the abyss, into the realms of Pluto, the inferno, in order to experience what is called the second death. Because people who don't work on the ego consciously are taken by the forces of nature into the infernal planes, as we explained in Arcanum 10. So there's a duality in relation to death. The consciousness can die within the infernal worlds or ascending through the path of life. And so the two pillars of the tree of life also find their equilibrium within Gemini, within uh, the two brothers or the two pillars, we can say. We also find that people abuse the energies of the three brains through The dualism of the intellect, thesis, antithesis, concept, any concept. Likewise, the heart, passion, rage, love, hate, and then and within sexuality, either through attraction or repulsion. So the three brains work in relation to duality, but if we know how to be balanced, if we learn to conserve our vital forces, our bobbin candlelights, our energies, we find. Immortality. Perfection. Balance. This card also relates to Mercury, relating to the waters of sexuality, associated with the Hebrew letter Mem, as we see in the top right of this graphic, of which we'll be talking extensively today. So according to many traditions, death is considered the entrance into a new womb, a new existence. What we call the psychic values of the consciousness are what return to new existences, new bodies, of which we talked extensively about in our lecture, the transmigration of souls. So there are different ways that physical death corresponds to our material life. And there are three things that enter the grave when one dies. The physical body, the vital body, and the personality. So obviously the physical body we know. But also the vital body itself, the fourth dimensional aspect of our physicality, also enters the grave when one is dead. And the personality also does not continue. Many people who study transmigration, who study reincarnation, get confused. They think that when they physically die, that their personality and all the qualities of their terrestrial existence continue but we know from personal experience that this is false. It's an assumption. The personality is merely an energetic vehicle, a mask, because persona means mask in Greek, I believe, which we wear existence from existence, lifetime to lifetime, in accordance with the cycle of 108 existences in the path of transmigration or 108 humanoid existences, as we explained previously. The personality develops between the ages of uh, 1 and 7, which is where we adopt mannerisms, language, culture, name. Things that relate to time and die in time. So there's no future for the personality, neither the vital body. The vitality is merely a battery, which gives life to our physical organism. And that, too, will deplete. When the person dies, the physical body enters the grave, likewise with the vitality, which hovers like a ghost above the graves of the deceased. And the personality, as Samael Vior explains, is what people call ghosts. People who are very psychic, who are sensitive, go to graveyards, and they see ephemeral images, movement, Specters, and people think that these are the souls of those who had died, but they don't understand that that's the personality. People who have a very strong personality in their existences tend to leave behind these type of specters, which take sometimes centuries to dissolve because so much energy was invested in that specter, that element. That person, uh, personification of oneself. But that too is not eternal, doesn't continue. What continues is the consciousness, the vital values of the soul, the conscious values, better said. Psychic energy, energy of the psyche, along with the ego. The ego also, in its plurality, returns. And it's sad that our consciousness is trapped in desire. And this is something we have to recognize in ourselves. That the real essence of our humanity is encaged within hatred, within rage, deception. All of the negative qualities of the ego. All the diabolism or diabolic nature of our mind. So, because the consciousness in most people is trapped in the ego, those elements continue. And based on karma, our past deeds may reincorporate into new bodies. As I said, we are given 108 humanoid existences, typically. But that may be more or less based on our moral caliber. Caliber depending on how well we use our life for the benefit of others, we can be prolonged and given new bodies, depending on our virtues, if we're sincere in this work. Some people who are very diabolic, who are negative, have their term cut short because of their actions of being so evil, perverse, which the law of karma punishes. And so it's important to remember that Because we have the ego, because we have desire, we are not immortal yet. So people like to believe in Jesus and think that when they go to the grave, that on the call of the trumpet, they're going to be resurrected with their physical body, with all of its imperfections. They ignore that the soul is not immortal yet. It's interesting that we state that the soul in some cases is immortal, and most people it's not. Because most people do not have what we call soul. As Jesus taught, with patience possess ye your souls, it has to be created. And we've spoken extensively about the solar bodies, the solar bodies, the vehicles of the solar, physical, vital, astral, mental, causal bodies which can transmit the light of the divine within us which are created through alchemy so the consciousness needs to be freed needs to be liberated in order to work in alchemy the path and by eliminating the ego in meditation and through transmutation through alchemy we gain immortality. When we create solar bodies, we have vehicles that belong to Christ, that is eternal, and which exists in those higher dimensions we've explained previously in the tree of life. And so the essence continues, the ego continues. So it's sad when people commit suicide, they think that by ending their life, they will end their suffering. But the truth is the desire continues. And reincorporates from existence to existence based on the law of causality. So the angels of death are very divine beings, very pure beings, who take on, as I said, a funereal appearance on the deathbed of those who are reaching the termination of their life. And so these angels belong to the ray of Saturn in spiritual studies. So we know that there are seven rays. Seven manifestations or occupations relating to Christ. Different types of qualities relating to the seven rays, which are the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. So the angels of death are typically depicted as evil creatures because people fear death. They don't understand that these beings are divine. Personally, I've met the head of the ray of Saturn who is Oryphio. And he didn't come to me in the form of a scythe, skeletal appearance with black cloak and a hood and wings. I invoked him because I remember waking up in the astral plane in my old home where I was speaking to my grandfather. And I knew in that moment that my grandfather had died years ago. So I... Well consciousness in the dream state? I was talking with my parents and they were communicating with my grandfather who was dead. And they didn't know where they were, that we were in the astral plane, that he was deceased. And I said to them, very alarmed, but he's dead and we're dreaming. But of course, being asleep and being the, due to the fact that my family has no interest in this type of studies, there was ignored my statements and laughed at me. So I went outside feeling very sad because I wanted to know the fate of my grandfather. I loved him very much in this life. And I looked up to the sky and I invoked in the name of Christ, by the power of Christ, for the majesty of Christ. Oriphael came down. I invoked refill, head of the Ray of Saturn. And he appeared in the form of a woman, a beautiful woman with long hair, Angelic. And the light that irradiated from his eyes was so pure that I sobbed. I was crying because I was so overwhelmed by how beautiful this angel is. And so, that gives me a lot of faith in the angels of death. That they're not evil. They're not malicious creatures. They're angels. They're perfect. And when they're not working... They take on the image of children, innocent. Because through the death of ego is purity, innocence. We return to the lost Eden that we, forsa- that we had forsaken many years ago, many lifetimes ago. So, notice that in this image, we chose an angel of death who is looking at a rose. Because life and death are synonymous. They're two aspects of the same thing. Therefore, why be attached to one side of the coin and reject the other? Because death is merely a transition. And people who become conscious of this fact don't fear death. In fact, those who are working in meditation on the death of the ego look forward to it. Not to rush it, not to postpone it, but to use Nietzsche's term, die at the right time. And he says in that book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, it's funny, it sounds funny, this doctrine of dying at the right time. That's a morbid sense of ending one's life, but recognizing that it is inevitable and one should prepare. Because if we eliminate the ego, we create better circumstances for us in the future. We can enter a new birth in a Gnostic household. Where parents who know these studies can teach us at a young age, and we continue our work. Happens many times. It is happening. So, the angels of death, like in this image, have all the beauty of love, the rose. And so, life and death are two aspects of the same thing. As I mentioned. Salmael and V.R. mentions in his books that the path of life is formed by the horse or the hoof prints of the horse of death. In order to experience a higher spiritual life, we have to die as an ego. So that when we physically die, we're prepared. And naturally we know where we're going to go. We can talk to Anubis, Lord of Karma, face to face, and negotiate and say, this is my... Virtues. These are the works that I've done in my life. I ask that you help me to continue my work, and they'll help you because we've earned it. So the angels of death they use a scythe in order to demonstrate to the soul that is transitioning that we are going to reap now what we have sowed. They also use the scythe to cut what is known as the antakaranā thread which connects the internal bodies, the soul, with the physical body. So you may have an experience in the astral plane, or may have read about this, in which we find that there's a silver cord from our umbilical center, the telepathic center of the chakra manipura, which connects to the physical body, to our astral body. I remember one experience, I was helped by an angel, or a group of angels, who helped me to awaken consciousness. And they told me, first you're going to go back to your physical body before you come back later this night so we can teach you things. And I remember being pulled by my Antakarana thread for many miles over a swamp or over some landscapes until I returned to my body. So I visually saw this thread. So that thread remains intact while one still has physical life. But when the time comes, they cut that thread. Not a moment later, not a moment sooner than what is determined by karma. Cause and effect. And that thread can extend out into the infinite as far as one can desire or long for. And it's a very interesting element within us. So the angels of death as I said, are not evil. They actually can teach us many things in relation to the death of the ego. Because I remember when invoking Orifiel, I saw clouds in the sky. And many times, I've had that experience of asking, what is my level of being? What do I need to work on? So I always go out in the astral plane from my old house. I have a lot of attachments there. And I would look up to the sky asking that question. And they would show me whether through clouds that my mind was obscured or through heavens, stars, showing the elevation of the being. And I remember Raphael came down and there were clouds parting from him as he was moving with his wings outstretched. And those clouds were crumbling and deteriorating, were dying. So he was showing me that if you want the heavens of your mind, your intellect to be clear, Remove the clouds. Remove the ego. Because the ego relates to the air, the mind, intellect. So the Master Raphael and many other Masters relating to the Ray of Saturn can teach us divine things. They work under Proserpine, the Mother Goddess of Death. And we often talk in these studies about the Divine Mother Death, Kundalini, she is death of the ego, which of course terrifies the mind because she signifies profound love for the soul. And so it's interesting, as some island mentions, that she loves her children in a very odd way. By loving them, she kills them, meaning kills the ego in order to free the soul, free the consciousness. And so we talked about what dies. The personality, the vital body, the physical body. And the soul is conducted into the higher planes by the angels of death in order to decide, based on karma, what the fate of that soul will be. In many cases, people or those, the consciousness and the pluralized ego enter into new bodies. So, the ego, as I said, doesn't go to the grave. It reincorporates. It can either enter a new humanoid existence or it can enter into the infernal worlds based on judgment. Sometimes the ego can be, or certain egos, be taken into the bodies of animals because they're very degenerate. They're separated from the soul in order for the human consciousness to have the opportunity to continue working because that element or those elements are very heavy. And need to be separated. So the ego can also can return within the seat of our descendants, within our own lineage. Many times we're born into certain families based on the fact that our ego is very strong, related to certain people. And so we tend to be reborn in the same family, over and over again, according to re- recurrence, with karma. So the way to escape all that is to annihilate the ego. So that we no longer repeat the same tragedies, dramas, and comedies. When people or when the body dies, the consciousness can also experience a vacation. And that means temporarily leaving behind the body a new existence in which the soul, based on its virtues, can have certain blissful experiences within nirvana, the heavenly realms. And the world of Tiferet and Kabbalah, meaning beauty, is nirvana. And personally, I've experienced nirvana. This is a heavenly realm. And people who have worked very hard in their life performing good deeds can get a vacation in which they're temporarily, based on their virtuous actions, are amongst the gods the angels. But when that karma is exhausted, the lords of the law say, now it's your time to return to a new body to pay the rest of your karma, of what you owe. I remember a ex- uh, story, a missionary told me about a friend of his who died, who precisely experienced this vacation. His friend had died physically, and his family members were grieving. And then this student came up to the missionary in question and told him in the astral plane, I am up in Nirvana right now, and my family down there is grieving for me. And the fact that they were crying and weeping so much over his death, or the death of this student, that grief was pulling him away from the higher planes, down back into the lower dimensions. He asked this missionary please tell my family not to grieve for me because I'm happy here. I'm at peace. And they keep dragging me down into the lower plains. So he said, okay, I'll talk to them. So people think death is something traumatic. It can be. But personally, I've experienced nirvana and I would very much like to have a vacation there. It's better than going to Hawaii or elsewhere. Really, There's no comparison Let us talk about death and the three brains. As I mentioned to you, we live in thirds and we die in thirds. So the Bob and Kandilnosts are precisely the vital values relating to our three brains. Represented in this image by the intellectual, the emotional, and the motor instinctive sexual brains. You can also break down the motor brain the brain of action in relation to movement, instinct, and sexual impulse. So how we use our energy determines our life. We are given vital values as a type of money. Vital capital is the word that Samael and VR uses. So if we save our money, like in any, any life, as any mature adult would do, Likewise, we can save the vital values of our consciousness, of our three brains, so that we prolong our life. We don't waste it. We don't destroy it. We don't cut ourselves short. You can think of people like certain rock stars, people who engage in a lot of degenerate behavior. They die young. Comes to my mind, the movie The Doors. Uh, Jim Morrison was an example of someone who using drugs and, you know, feeding his ego, died young, destroyed himself. Because those vital values were wasted through lust and other negative elements. So, as I said, when people use their intellectual capital and have no money left in the mind, they develop neurasthenia, idiocy, schizophrenia, madness, or mania. In the emotional brain, one can develop depression, bipolar, psychopathic emotions, nervousness, cardiac disease. And people who abuse the motor instinctive sexual brain become paralyzed. They develop muscle sicknesses, paraplegia, and also many joint and spine and knee problems. So we mention this again because the three brains have to be balanced. They have to be equilibrated, harmonized. Think of your three brains like three engines. If you've maintained those engines in a car or in a vehicle, they're going to last long. You give it good fuel, we eat good food, think good thoughts, develop positive emotion, and get balance in our body through exercise in moderation in a good amount according to our needs. We learn to prolong our life. We find equilibrium, balance, equanimity. It is stated by Salmael and Vior that there are monasteries in Asia in which the monks live to be 300 years old. Primarily because they practice the death of the ego and the development of the three brains in a harmonious way. So what is it that wastes the vital capital is the ego. And the three brains are merely a machine which, like a car, can be driven by the consciousness or by the ego. The ego is what squanders the energies of the mind, the heart, the body. Anger takes the vital values of the intellectual center in order to project evil thoughts and through the emotional center directs its rage and through the motor instinctive sexual brain acts in the physical plane, even to the point of committing violence against another person. So the ego uses these centers, these brains. And depending on how we spend our money determines on how much of a reservoir we have in our karmic bank. So we think of karma as cause and effect. We have certain money in the three brains. And if we waste all our money, then one dies in those centers, psychologically speaking. So as I said, some people have more vital values than others. They're born based on karma, their past actions, into bodies that will either have more or less of these values. So if we want to learn how to preserve and prolong our life, it's good to balance these centers. If we're very intellectual, it's good to listen to good music. Use the emotional brain to balance the mind. Or if we're very emotional people, we tend to have that dispensation. It's good to balance it with intellectual study of scripture, of good elements, good teachings, good books. And the motor instinctive sexual brain can be balanced by learning to use the other centers. And so... It's important that we learn to live life more consciously because if we feed the ego less and less we save more of those values. The ego begins to die. And instead of losing those vital currencies we instead extract the light that is within the ego by annihilating it so as to obtain immortality. So in order to become immortal, as represented by Jesus' resurrection, one needs to die as an ego. So death is the crown on the path of life. It should not be feared, but awaited for with consciousness. So, by learning to die in the ego in this life, we become prepared. And in order to explain this dynamic, I'd like to relate to you uh, excerpt from a book by the Sufi master Ibn Arabi who talks about what is called voluntary death to volunteer the death of the ego so that one is prepared for the state of the afterlife and the Quran speaks very beautifully about this in that in its scripture, in a very detailed way how by living a virtuous life one will live with greater happiness in the next And so this Sufi initiate explains that by preparing ourselves here and now, we volunteer to return to God consciously. Not out of accident or lacking our will, but consciously. By awaiting the moment. The volunteer return to God is something for which the servant is most thankful God said, the whole affair is returned to Him. Quran, Surah 11, verse 123. So, since you know that, return to Him willingly, and you will not be returned to Him by compulsion. For there is no escaping your return to Him, and you will surely have to meet Him, either willingly or against your will. Referring to the being, we can either return consciously through meditation. Or when we physically die, we have to come face to face with our inner God to, to take atonement or to be judged for our actions. For he meets you in the form of your attributes, nothing else but that. So examine yourself, my friend. The prophet said, Whoever loves to meet God, God loves to meet him. And whoever is averse to meeting God, God is averse to meeting him. Now, since we knew that our meeting with God can only be through death, and because we knew the inner meaning of death, we sought to bring it about sooner in the life of this world. Hence, we died in the very source of our life to all our concerns and activities and desires, so that when death overcame us in the midst of that life, which never passes from us, inasmuch as we are that life, with which ourselves and our limbs and every part of us glorifies and praises God. We met God, and He met us. So we don't have to wait to our physical death in order to talk with God. This is how many people think, that physically you go to the grave, and then you have some meeting with God, Says, hey, my Lord, what's next? But the truth is, by learning to meditate, we talk face-to-face with our being and get guidance. We're dying in this lifetime so that we know when the time comes that our physical body is exhausted of its vital capital. We can consciously negotiate with the lords of karma because we've been doing this our whole life, consciously. And therefore there's no surprises. We know what to expect. And ours was the case mentioned in the hadith above of those who meet him while loving to meet him so that he loves to meet us. Thus, when there comes what is commonly known as death, and the veil of this body is removed from us, Quran, Surah 50, verse 22, our state will not change and our certainty will not be any greater than what we already experience now. So what does that mean? Our certainty will not change. Because we already know from talking with our inner being what's going to happen. There's no ambiguity there. For we tasted no death but the first death, which we died during our life in this world, because our Lord protected us from the torment of hell as a bounty from your Lord. That is the supreme achievement from Surah 44, verses 56 to 57. As the Imam Ali said, even if the veil were removed, I would not be any more certain Because the veil physically, or the body, is a veil of the internal planes. When you're physically not in your body, in the dream state, astral projecting, we experience a type of death. Remember that thanatos and hypnos in the Greek myths were brothers. So death and sleep are the same. But if we as a consciousness are active, then when the physical body is gone, we're conscious in the internal planes. But if we don't do any work, then we're just going to go with the flow of our karma mechanically without any knowledge. So the person who returns to God in this way is among the blessed. And he does not even feel the inevitable compulsory return of physical death. Because it only comes to him when he is already there with God. The most that what is ordinarily known as death can mean for him is that his soul, which is with God, is kept from governing this body that it used to govern so that the soul remains with God in its same condition while that body reverts to its origin, the dust from which it was formed. Quran, chapter, surah 3, verse 59, etc. For it was a house whose occupant has traveled away then the king established that person with him in a firm position until the day they are raised. Surah 23, verse 100. And his condition when he is raised up will be just like that. It will not change insofar as his being with God is concerned, nor with regard to what God gives him at every instant. So, what is esoteric death? the death of the ego this was beautifully represented by the myth of john the baptist's beheading and why the head being decapitated for the purposes of desire i believe is uh, salome in the christian gospel we have to die to the mind the intellect which is the home of desire of the ego to die to worldliness to materialism to attachments which are in the intellect the mind and so esoteric death means to eliminate desire to remove the impurities of the psyche because the ego is imperfection the ego can never be perfected the belief In many traditions and religions that by feeding the self, by cultivating the I, the myself, the ego, whether it be through uh, education, college, diplomas, or religion, that type of fortification of desire will lead one into suffering. Because the ego is the result of chaos. It is chaos. It is imperfection. So there's certain schools of Christianity they believe there's one pastor who talks about becoming a better you so who is that you or who is that I that wants to become better in these studies we like to be very explicit we're not trying to become better people in the conventional sense we're trying to eliminate desire so that when the ego is fully dead only the being is present and the being is perfection is light is the harmony of the universe so the ego cannot get any better it's the source of disorder whether it be good egos or bad egos these are the demons of the mind represented as the red demons of Seth in Egypt and the Egyptian book of the dead so the ego is the source of all of our pain to want crave to demand those impulses are a state of suffering because when we are afflicted with pride we want to belittle another person it can be mixed with anger which says I have been hurt I need to be justified I need to be avenged my pain must be recompensed and that's a state of profound ignorance because if we feed that element it only gets worse it's never satiated it is never fulfilled, which is why Samael Vior explains that we have to wage a cruel and merciless war to the death against the ego, in which Gustav Holst, in his composition called The Planets, depicts in the song relating to Mars the path of the death of the ego, a great war that occurs within the soul for its redemption. And so the ego must be annihilated Disintegrated. Because as we presently are, compared to our past existences, in most cases we have not gotten any better, but worse. Because the ego reincorporates new bodies, new experiences, or new situations, which are basically repetitions. So we have new existences, but we keep repeating the same mistakes, the same pride, the same lust, the same desires, in different stages of our life, mechanically, repetitiously. And so that's a type of mechanicity that is very lunar. And the moon is the mechanical or relates to the mechanical forces of nature. Repetition, recurrence, return. So in these studies we want to escape all that. To take the moon of the mind, to annihilate it so that the light of the sun can be resplendent. And that light is a new life, a new way of being, a new way of perceiving within the Spirit. And so those desires must be eliminated. The temptations of the mind must be overcome. So that by working on those habits, our mechanicity, our behaviors, our habits, our desires, we learn to descend and face all the suffering and causes of our ignorance here and now, so that we can reascend with power, with understanding. The moon must be converted into a sun, as we explained in the previous arcana. So, good intentions don't get us anywhere. We may intend to be a more chaste person, to be better mentally, emotionally, physically. We may recognize we have anger and resentment and all these demonic qualities, and we may say to ourselves, I'm going to change. But then the moment comes in which we're faced with the same circumstances, the same people, the same problems, and we have to be observant to see are we going to repeat the same mistakes, primarily because we have good intentions, but how do we really act when the fire is present, when temptation is present, which is why Psalm Iron explains that numerous are these people who assume that through good intentions it is possible to attain sanctity. Obviously, as long as one does not work intensely on those eyes that we carry within our interior, they will continue to exist beneath the depth of our godly appearance and our upright conduct. The time has come for us to know that we are perverse ones disguised with the robe of sanctity Wolves in sheepskin, cannibals dressed in gentlemen's clothing, executioners hidden behind the sacred sign of the cross, etc. As majestic as we may seem inside our temples or inside our classrooms of light and harmony, as serene and sweet as we may seem to our fellow men, as reverent and humble as we may appear, the abominations of hell and all the monstrosities of the wars continue to exist at the bottom of our psyche. In revolutionary psychology, the necessity of a radical transformation is evident. Evident to us, and this is only possible by declaring on oneself a merciless and cruel war to the death. Indeed, all of us are worthless. Each one of us is the disgrace, the abomination of the earth. Fortunately, John the Baptist taught us the secret way to die in oneself through psychological decapitation. So we have to simply look at our life and observe in moments of great crises what is our moral character? Do we possess all of the sanctity we like to assume we have or are we really demons? Personally, I don't think I'm very saintly or even much of a gentleman. You have the ego very strong. So I see that in myself and I feel a lot of remorse as I discover more and more the depths of those desires which are very ancient, very old. So people read this and they obviously they run away because nobody wants to say it. Me? A disgrace. A failure. People like to feed their self, to be self-assured, to feel that they have some guarantee, a first-class ticket to the afterlife without any border crossings, without customs, Without scrutiny. So it's very dark to observe this, but fortunately, John the Baptist taught us the way to escape from all of this pain and suffering, which is death of the ego. And so when we learn to die in the ego, we really experience peace that is so profound a state of being in which we actualize our true potential, which is a state of immortality. I remember, uh, I'll give you an experience of one time I was meditating in a temple. I won't say where or which group. But we are praying and performing our practices. And I was praying on my knees and meditating very deeply in that state. And I felt such a longing to know and understand why I felt such an antipathy towards another person in the temple. I kept praying a lot and asking for comprehension, for insight, for my Divine Mother. So I was concentrating on that moment and praying very deeply, asking, show me the way of the path of John the Baptist. Because I recognized that regardless of the moral qualities of this other person, I'm more concerned about my own pride my own anger towards this person and why I, f- I feel that way or felt that way. And I remember getting insight. It struck me like a lightning bolt. And I understood the ego in that instant because I was introspecting very deeply. And I prayed immediately. for and In the moment, I was praying for annihilation. My Divine Mother decapitated that ego. And I felt consciousness. I was liberated. I felt so serene. And I was seeing things psychologically that truly demonstrates a state of equanimity. So that's the secret way. Comprehend our errors, eliminate them through the help of the Divine Mother. And then we have peace. And I remember being around that person, not feeling any antipathy, because that ego was dead. I didn't care anymore. I felt respect for the person instead. So we talk about mystical pride. Obviously, we all have the Pharisee within but the way to escape being a Pharisee, simply a believer in a teaching, feeling very proud, is to be honest. Why should well, we think or feel that we're better than other people? Because in truth, all of us are demons. Until we are fully dead as an ego and we resurrect in Binah, the Holy Spirit, we can't boast of anything. So this path is precisely the work of Judas. And many scholars or scholars of Gnosticism are speaking a lot about the unearthed gospel of Judas, which is very controversial, primarily because it upholds or puts into upheaval millennia of beliefs about this apostle. People do not understand what Judas represents, psychologically. And people don't understand even more so how This person in the past, historically, was not evil, did not betray Christ, but merely played a role, a very difficult one, for his master. Because Christ physically came to represent the drama of Christ within the soul. Because Jesus was an incarnation of the light, and he came to represent that light and how we psychologically need to unite with that truth through death of the ego, through the path of the cross but the only way to get to that point was through Judas physically Judas is a great master one of the greatest he is a Christified initiate who came to represent a part of our psyche that is very difficult and painful and controversial people like to assume that they're very saintly very angelic very holy because they attend a group They go to church, they go to mosque. They love God very much. And yet, they're more attached to sensations, to drugs, to alcohol, to fornication. And so, the Master Judas, physically, was teaching us that if you want to enter the path of initiation, you have to overcome desire, temptation. There are different demons relating to the three brains. Pilate is the demon of the mind. The thought or ego that says, I'm not guilty. I wash my hands clean. I absolve myself from action. I justify myself. I'm innocent. Meanwhile, he was a governor. He was the one who allowed Jesus to be crucified. And so people tend to respect that type of thinking. Oh, I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. Because a... He was a Roman governor, very well respected. Represents a type of mentality that everyone follows. You have Caiaphas, the demon of the heart, the demon of evil will. Somebody who loves religion very much, but hates Christ. Hates the Lord. And we have that ego inside, very deep. Where we may love a certain religion or teaching, but have egos that really hate the light of Christ. And to see that in oneself is very difficult, painful. Judas represents the demon of desire relating to the motor instinctive sexual brain. An ego that says that it loves God, loves to meditate, but is addicted to fornication, to passion, to lust, and sells the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And remember we talked about vital currency relating to the bob and cannibalists. Somebody who sells the Lord for 30 pieces of silver is basically taking those vital values, that money, And using it through desire, through lust. Because silver relates to the moon, mechanicity. So, the physical master Judas is one person, a great master who played a drama. He took on a role that he did not want. He was the only apostle who was willing to help Christ portray this cosmic drama in in the body of flesh and bones. He wanted the role of Peter, I believe. But Jesus, says he's not capable of doing, being Judas. You have to be Judas. Didn't want the job. And we will see from our reading of the Gospel of Judas precisely this truth, which is causing many people to be either confused or outraged because their centuries of belief are totally up, up, turned over. So Samael Vior gives an explanation in one of his lectures that this Gospel of Judas is related with the dissolution of the ego. The cosmic drama of Christ would be impossible to represent without the role of Judas. This apostle is then the most exalted adept, the most elevated amongst all the apostles of Christ Jesus. He represents for us not only the ego of desire, but also the part of divinity known as Lucifer Luciferus, bearer of light. Lucifer is a part of our being that gives us temptations and ordeals, gives us the fire of crises and circumstances which push the ego to the surface so that we see everything we need to work on. Because without temptation, there is, no fire, there is no light. Temptation is fire. Triumph over temptation is comprehension, is understanding, is light. And so the Gospel of Judas teaches us this. How Judas came to represent the tempter, the betrayer, who is part of our divinity that is again, one is very controversial. People don't like Lucifer. They ignore that Lucifer is a name relating to light and fire. The being. Part of our divinity. The psychological trainer, according to Salma El-Mvior. Because without temptation, without facing those problems, we can't possibly grow. We can't change. And sad that people denigrate Judas. People denigrate Lucifer. They ignore that these are essential parts of our being whom we need to work with. doesn't mean you should trust your inner Lucifer, because your Lucifer will tempt you. Instead, it means you take advantage of those ordeals and temptations and trials in order to comprehend the ego, to annihilate it. This is from the Gospel of Judas, which explains many of these principles. Jesus discusses the prayer of thanksgiving. Now one day he was with his disciples in Judea, and he happened upon them as they were assembled together, seated and practicing their piety. When he drew near to his disciples as they were assembled together, seated and giving thanks over the bread, he laughed. The disciples said to him, Master, why are you laughing at our prayer and thanksgiving? What is it we have done? This is what is proper. He answered and said to them, I'm not laughing at you. You aren't doing this out of your own will, but because in this way your God will be praised. They said, Master, you are the Son of our God. Jesus said to them, How is it that you know me? I tell you the truth. No generation will know me among the people who are with you. So he's showing the apostles that you can't know my light perfectly, is what Christ is saying, because you're attached to your piety you don't really understand how to go beyond good and evil. Not out of a moral sense, but to be united with the light of Christ is to be revolutionary. And of course, the disciples become angry. When the disciples heard this, they began getting angry and hostile and blaspheming against him and their minds. Jesus recognized that they did not understand, and he said to them, Why has your concern produced this hostility? Your God who is within you and his powers have become angry with your souls or within your souls. Let any of you who is a strong enough person bring forward the perfect human being and stand before my face. They all said, We are strong. But none of their spirits dared to stand before him except Judas Iscariot. He was able to stand before him, yet he could not look him in the eye, but he turned his face away. He's showing his, his humility. So Judas is saying, I, I, I am going to step forward to represent the path of light, which is lit through temptation. And all the apostles who are attached to their piety are very scandalized, who find it difficult to really face all the temptations of the abyss. Because it's a lot of heaviness and ordeals one has to face when facing the ego. And they all said, we are strong, but none of them had the daring to really go beyond their piety. Judas said to him, I know who you are and from what place you have come. You have come from the immortal realm of Barbello, and I am not worthy to pre- pronounce the name of the one who has sent you. So what is Barbelo? Bar means fire, sun. Bell means light. I believe in Chaldean the light and fire of the Absolute. So in Kabbalah we've talked a lot about the Tree of Life, but from the Tree of Life or from the Absolute emerges that Tree of Life. The Absolute has three aspects. Ein, Ain Sof, Ain Sof Or, the nothingness, the limitless, the limitless light. So Barbello is that limitless light. It is the unmanifested Absolute from which Jesus came. Christ is that light that is from the immortal, unmanifested divine. But to enter that higher truth requires overcoming both good and evil here and now. Because the absolute is beyond duality, relativity. So many people get scandalized in not understanding how the bodhisattvas who enter the straight path of initiation manage to control all the forces of good and evil in themselves. When amongst demons know how to disguise their light, when amongst the angels to be, or the saints to be a light unto them. So only Judas was the one worthy enough to present himself to say, "I present myself before you as one who is going to enter the absolute, the unmanifested." Because the absolute we have to understand is only entered to by angels. We here are trying to become angels, Elohim, gods or goddesses. But the Elohim strive to become one with I Elohim, the unmanifested, which is beyond angelhood, beyond good and evil, very far from that. So that is Barbello. And Judas is the only one who presented himself to be able to enter that path, which is evident by what Samayon Veer mentions in his lectures. He says that Judas right now has been working in the abyss in those dimensions, in the Klippoth, trying to redeem the lost souls, teaching them the solar path. And in that plane, he's been ridiculed, laughed at, mocked, condemned, treated with despise by all those demons in the infernal worlds who think they're doing very well, ignoring that they're devolving. Likewise, many people in the physical plane denounce Judas as a betrayer, as someone who did not love Christ. And so Samael says, look at this master in the infernal plains. How dead his ego must be because he's condemned everywhere he goes. And then Samael says, if anyone is worthy to enter the absolute, the goal is Judas because he serves humanity so selflessly. No ego, pure, dead. And is working as a resurrected master to enter the, the unmanifest or the unmanifested which is represented in this gospel. Judas said, Master, just as you have listened to all of them, now also listen to me, for I have seen a powerful vision. Jesus heard this and laughed. And he said to him, O thirteenth daemon, why are you excited? Or why are you so excited? Speak your mind then, and I will hear you out. So he is the demon, the daemon, The tempter, the 13th Arcanum. Or better said, the tempter is the 15th Arcanum. But he is the 13th daemon because a daemon is a term that can be used as a muse, an inspiration, or a demon. And that's a description of what the, the power of Lucifer is. Within the ego, it's mixed, is demonic. But there is light inside, which seeks to be extracted and purified. Through Arcanum 13, death of the ego. Judas said unto Jesus, I have seen myself in the vision as the twelve disciples were stoning me and treating me harshly. And I also came to the place that after you, or after I came to the place after you. I saw a house, and my eyes could not grasp its dimensions. Important people moved about around it. That house had a thatched roof, and within that house there was a crowd. Master, let me also comment in, in with these people. So what is that house? Is the Hebrew letter Bet, Lain Sof, that we talked about previously. So Lain Sof in Kabbalah is the 12th Aeon. So in the Naseh Tree of Life, we have 13 Aeons, relating from Malkut, to Yesod, to Hod, Netzach, Tiferet, Geburah, Chesed, that's the lower 7, Sephiroth, followed by Bina, Chokmah, Keter, 10. Above that, we have the Ainsoth 4, the 11th Aeon, and then we have the Sof, the 12th Aeon. The Sof is our superatomic star whom we seek to reunite with, as we explained in the Arkadam 2 of the High Priestess. Judas belongs to the 13th Aeon, Ain, which is a path that is treaded by tremendous revolutionaries, bodhisattvas, who go beyond good and evil. But many people become angels, or many initiates become angels, and seek to enter that Ain. They reach Soph, the 12th Aeon, but they want to go to the 13th Aeon. It's a higher degree of development, which we only know that Jesus accomplished, because it's very difficult. And so Judas wanted to enter that house, the 12th Aeon, but Jesus, speaking from greater knowledge, was telling him, Your star has deceived you, Judas, Because you say you want to enter the 12th aeon, but really you want to go to the 13th. You want to go even farther. No person of mortal birth is worthy to go into the house you have seen. the That place is kept for the saints, the angels, the Elohim, where sun and moon will not rule, nor the day, but they will stand there always in the eternal realm with the holy angels. So Judas says, I want to go to that realm, but Jesus says, No. You're going to go beyond that. It's a symbol of, of something internal, but also with the physical master Judas. He's, enter, he's working to enter the 13th aeon by doing the work that he's doing now. Judas asks about his own fate. Judas said, Master, is it possible that my seed is subject to the rulers, the archons of the 12 aeons or the 12 sephiroth of the tree of life? Jesus answered and said to him, Come that, uh, that I may tell you that and there's some verses that, are, uh, that have been extirpated from the original script, uh, documents. But you will go through a great deal of grief when you see the kingdom and its entire generation. When Judas heard these things, he said to him, What advantage is there for me, since you have set me apart from that generation? Jesus answered and said, You will be the thirteenth, and you will be cursed by the other generations, meaning all the people in the world will condemn you. All the archons will, def- will condemn you, meaning all those masters who are attached to certain aspects of the tree of life in their development, who don't understand the path of the revolutionaries, the 13th Arcanum. But eventually you will rule over them, these 13 aeons, the lower 12, better said. In the last days they will, as it says, it's uh, extirpated here, the text, up to the holy generation. So, we'll talk about these 13 aeons in relation to the Tree of Life towards the end of this uh, lecture. But Archonum 13 relates to death, relates to the 13th aeon, the 13 aeons of the Tree of Life. But alchemically speaking, we'll talk about how Arcanum 13 relates to certain alchemical knowledge and teachings given by J.D. Milius from Philosophia Reformata. Here we see a king and queen, man and wife, who are working in the nuptial chamber. Ravens devour the sun and moon outside of the chamber, which represent the blackening and putrefaction of desire, the ego, the lunar bodies that we spoke about previously. So, what are these lunar bodies? Are precisely the uh, mental and astral bodies that we currently possess. So, if you awaken the astral plane and see people, most people are very dark. They don't have any light, they're phantoms in which the ego through them acts. But a solar vehicle is an expression of light, of Christ. And so, those lunar bodies and our egos associated with them must be destroyed. In the same manner that a butterfly emerges from a chrysalis, likewise the shells of the ego must be putrefied, blackened, destroyed, so that the resurrected butterfly, the soul, can be reborn within it. We also see man and wife joined together in a hermaphrodite body, which comes alive through the dew of the rain, a symbol of the transmuted sexual energy, which rises up the spine to the mind, to the clouds, and descends as rain to the heart, rejuvenating it. Likewise, we see the sun and moon within one body, male-female, because through husband and wife is how the solar and lunar energies give birth to death, because that divine kundalini force can be directed at the ego to annihilate it on the sole condition that it's been comprehended in its depth. In its totality, so you notice also that there's an angel standing to the far right. This angel is indicating that if we want to become perfected like him, or her, we must, in a matrimony, become unified. The sun and moon must join in order that we may be crowned, and from the grave, the death of our ego, we can be or immerse ourselves in the light. This is from the Laboratorium Oratorium, the laboratory of the alchemist. We also spoke about the solar bodies. This image is from Estrismosum, Splendor Solis, from London in the 16th century. This is a description of the Christified soul that emerges within the athenor, or glass of alchemy, in which one is crowned with glory. We see flowers surrounding it, the virtues of the soul, which emerge through the work of transforming the mind into a lunar vehicle, into a solar vehicle. So we explain that the embryo of our soul can be developed. We're not immortal yet. The soul is not perfected, it's not generated we have an embryo of soul which can give birth to the perfected human being, the angel. This embryo is fed, strengthened, nourished by working with alchemy, the transmutation of the base elements of the ego, the lead of the personality, into the goal of the spirit. So immortality is given to us first when we incarnate the soul. But in order to incarnate the soul, we have to create a solar astral body, A solar mental body and a solar causal body relating to Hod, Netzach, and Tiferet. The astral Christ, the Christ mind, the Christ will. And at that point, one can receive their soul because it's been developed. And one has the bodies in order to express that potential within oneself. So as we are now with our egotistical desires, we are phantoms. It's enough to look in the astral plane and even in our mental daily states or emotional states that we have lunar phantoms inside. Egos, defects. Likewise, the mind with its surging thoughts, its theses and antitheses, its theories, its beliefs. This is merely a phantom. And this is why Nietzsche in his Thus Spoke Zarathustra explain that the human being as it presently is, is like a Mixture between plant and ghost. There's no substance. Because the ego is not divine. There's nothing substantial there, eternal there. And when we create a solar causal body, like always with the lower vehicles, we can possess Christic will. A will that knows how to obey the divine ordinances of Christ. Which is not some commandments from outside, but the guidance of our inner being here and now. In this life, in this instant. Most of our desires, if we're honest, tend to be egotistical. We want something, we seek to get it. We crave something, we have the will to go out of our way to get what we desire. That's evil will, desire will. So this image explains for us how through the alchemical crucible we boil the elements of the ego in order to present the crucified soul that is born in us when we create these lower or these three solar bodies, entering the initiations of fire within the physical, vital, astral, mental, and causal vehicles. So this prima matter of the alchemist is the semen, as we've explained many times. The seminal matter can be transformed from its volatile state to give birth to these bodies, can create Christ's will, and Samuel and Vayyar explains that this essence of the great work, the prima matter, the semen itself, is volatile and flexible because it can either give birth to desire or to the chaste mind, the perfected soul, the Christic will. And so, how does one know that one has these bodies? People who create a solar astral body know how to astral project very easily. They awaken the astral plane many times sometimes without even willing it. They had that ability in themselves. They developed in past existences. Likewise, how does one know that one has a solar mind? You can have the experiences in the astral plane if you worked in alchemy previously. A solar mind is a mind that knows how to understand scripture very intuitively, instantly. doesn't have to deliberate or doubt, but knows. Intuitive concepts, principles. And a causal body of Christic will is possessed by those bodhisattvas or those masters who reach the fifth initiation of fire. And to have that body is to know how to do the will of Christ because one is connected at that level. But to get to that point, we have to discard the impurities of the mind. Like the chrysalis from which the resurrected soul is born. So as I said, we are presently like a phantom in the etheric, the astral, the mental and causal planes. We have to learn to discard those lower bodies that are mechanical, that were given to us by nature by giving birth to the soul in alchemy, the solar bodies. So in order to create a solar astral body, we have to raise the fire of Kundalini from the physical spine up to the brain like always with the vital body. And then within the astral phantom raises the sacred fire of Kundalini up the 33 vertebrae of the spine to the mind and then to the heart. And from that blackened sepulcher of the astral body emerges the solar Christic astral vehicle which emerges from that phantom. The same process occurs within the mental phantom in which we create a solar mental body, a Christ mind. And then within the embryo of soul emerges the solar causal body so, what is resurrection? There are levels of resurrection, which we'll talk about in Arcanum 20. The soul resurrects in the fire and the light, the serpents of fire and the serpents of light, as we've explained and mentioned previously, especially in Arcanum 7, I believe. But resurrection also applies to those masters who are fully dead to the ego, because you can reach levels of resurrection in yourself. Annihilating the ego to a certain degree and being reborn in a certain level or dimension. Because when you create a solar astral body, you are immortal in that plane. You can astral travel, you're awake in that state. You know that dimension well. Likewise with the mental plane, the solar mental body. There's a form of resurrection there, being reborn at that level. Likewise the causal plane, the world of Tiferet, human will. But resurrection in its most strict sense applies to the soul when the ego is fully dead. When the ego is fully dead, then the consciousness can reunite with the being. And even the physical body can be brought up, which is a process that happens with many masters and has occurred with the master Jesus, in which the physical body enters the higher planes. One becomes immortal like Babaji and Mataji, Nicholas Flamel and Perenel, Count St. Germain, Cagliostro, Quetzalcoatl or Quetzalcoatl. So these are masters who escape death physically because they receive what is known as the elixir of long life, of which we'll talk about in our Condom 20. So to become a resurrected master is to become a superman a superhuman being beyond good and evil. And is a being that is very different from all others because that light is fully manifested. So we'll talk about the mysteries of the Hebrew letter Mem, which relate to the death of the ego. Psalm 119. Verses 97-104 through 104 begin with the Hebrew letter Mem The Mysteries of Ma'im, The Waters of Sex Oh how I love your law It is my meditation all day You make me wiser than my enemies by your commands For they are forever mine I have more wisdom than all my teachers For your testimonies are a meditation to me so I have more wisdom than all of one's teachers. And these teachers are any religion, any group, any school. Whether it be spiritual or whatnot. For your testimonies are a meditation to me. What does it mean to testify? To bear witness? To bear witness means to know. Because we see the truth for ourselves from experience. And that way, we are in a constant state of meditation, always self-observing, self-remembering. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I have kept my feet from evil, every evil way, to keep your word. I turn not from your judgments, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my palate, more than honey to my mouth. By your precepts I know, so then I hate every false way. So while this mention about the false way in relation to men because the waters can either lead you in the path or can drown you. If one is chaste, one knows the bare testimony of God because one has the energy available to experience the light of your being. But if one is a fornicator, one follows the path of ra, impurity. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is otzha da'at tob ve Ra. The tree of purity and impurity to be more strict in our etymology. So I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Meaning people who have abused or have used up their vital values. Who may not have known the teachings. I have kept my feet from every evil way to keep your word. I turn not from your judgments for you have taught me. And how sweet are your words to my palate more than honey. Because honey is a symbol of alchemy. The bee takes, through its mechanical behaviors, the elements of the pollen into the sweetness of the soul. A symbol of us, because all of us are like bees. When we learn transmutation, we're like an insect. Insignificant, small, impure. But can give birth to something much more higher than ourselves. We see here the tree of life. Transposed with the four rivers of Eden mentioned in Genesis. We have the upper Eden associated with the secret sephirah da'at, alchemical knowledge, along with the Hebrew letter shamayim. Shin, mem, yod, mem. Below in Yasod we have the lower Eden formed by mem, yod, and mem, mayim. Notice that mem has two versions the open-ended mem and the closed the closed mem is known as sofit the final mem which some letters in hebrew have a beginning and ending version or graphic which are different depending on whether it's at the beginning of a word or if it's at the end so what is maim? It means water Shama'im means fiery waters because we explained that heaven, shamaim, relates to shin, fire, mem, and water. In the beginning of the first verse of Genesis, we find, Bereshit bara Elohim, at ha-shamaim, ve'at haretz. Shamaim is translated as heavens. And the, in the scripture it says, in the beginning or in wisdom, Elohim created the heavens, shamaim, and the earth, Malkut. So what is Bereshit? We explain is an acrostic that can be broken down in many ways. Bereshit can refer to Berit Esh, pact of fire, which is the pact of chastity between the human soul and the divine. So the pact of chastity, Bereshit, or Berit Esh, created, Bara, Elohim, so chastity created the gods, the angels. At Hashamayim. And the heavens, Ve'at Ha'retz. And the solar bodies. So what are those heavens? The mysteries of the virtues of the soul born from Da'at, alchemy. That's Hashamayim. Because it also literally means fiery water. Because when you learn to control your waters in a in matrimony... And through pronouncing mantras, you create fire. That creates the heavens in you, your being. It also creates haretz, the earth, which are the solar bodies we've been explaining. We must raise the fire of waters from yesod through our physical body, our vital body, the astral body, the mental body, the causal body. Malkut, yesod, hod, netzach, tifereth, respectively. So why and the earth veat Bereshit bara Elohim at hashamayim created the heavens veat haretz. We explain that Aleph Tav in the word Beresh in that in that sentence refers to Aleph Tav in Hebrew, the first and the last letters of Hebrew, which are the Alpha and Omega of Christ. All the principles of God are contained within at shamayim the heavens the fiery waters of Da'at, and Ve'at, through the spine of Vav, we raise those principles up from sex to the head in order to create Harets, the earth, the solar bodies. So the Bible refers to the Edens, or the two Edens. We have the Upper Eden and the Lower Eden. The Upper Eden relates to the fiery elements of Da'at, which are the powers accumulated through alchemy. And the lower Eden refers to those waters that are in our sexual glands, Yassad. So, Mem, the upper Eden, and Kabbalah, waters the lower. The water descends down the tree of life within our body, through the cerebral spinal fluid and many other elements, but also within the higher dimensions into the lower. We can say that Shamaim, the fiery waters, the transmuted sexual energy descends from above. When we are with our wife, when husband and wife are together in alchemy, those waters become transmuted into fire. Mayim becomes shamaim through mantras, through da'at, this pronunciation of the sacred verb. So, those fires descend, those heavenly waters within the cosmos, also descend from the higher dimensions down from the open mem. Shin is the chopped trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the waters of Da'at, the heavenly fiery waters of the open mem, those waters descend down through the four rivers of Eden, symbolized in Genesis. In order to return into the, or to be received within the vital body the vital energies. So Mem is the river of Shamaim, the upper Eden, which waters the Garden of Yesod, because we receive all the powers and potentiality of the Spirit from the higher dimensions, but also within our physical body. The open Mem above, Shamaim, is the Shin of the Trinity, the fiery Logoi, the three Logos, Keter Chukmah Bina which is known as the world of Atzilut in Hebrew. So the Tree of Life can be divided into different worlds of Kabbalah. The top trinity is Atzilut, the world of potentiality, of archetypes, in which those forces in a potential state become actualized to the world of Bria, associated with Chesed, Geburah, Tiferet, the middle trinity. The lower trinity is the world of formation, Yetzirah, in which we give form to the solar bodies. So from Atziluth, from the principles of the divine, we work with mantra and alchemy, the world of Bria, in order to actualize the po- powers of the spirit between husband and wife in the world of Chesed, Geburah, Tiferet, which gives form to the solar bodies, Netzach, Chod, Yesod, and Malkut. Yetzirah, the world of formation, relates to the mind, the heart, and the vitality, which is all manifested within Asya the world of matter and formation, the world of, better said, the world of action and consequence. It's interesting that in the Hebrew letter or word ma'im, the letter yod, the tenth letter of Kabbalah, representing keter, is between two mems, one open, one closed, symbolizing how the power of the father is between husband and wife. The open mem is the woman, the uterus. The closed mem is the, is the man. The sexual gland of the, of the male. And yod is either the sperm or the ovum between the couple, which can give birth to the, he- the heavens by working with shin, with fire, through da'at, through mantras, through prayers. So let us talk about the four rivers of Eden in relation to the tree of life. The four rivers relate to the dissension of those fiery forces from above, from the Akasha, relating to space, the cosmos, the universe, which manifests in our body. Those four rivers relate to not physical places, but to forces within our vitality. Max Heindel talks and calls them the four ethers. We have the luminous ether, The reflecting ether, the chemical ether, and the ether of life, which are represented in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. The four rivers of Eden. The name of the first is Pison, the luminous ether. That is it, which encompasses the whole land of Havilah, Geburah, where there is gold, Christic power. And the gold of that land is good, since Geburah, our divine consciousness, receives the powers of hokmah the Christ. And it's important to remember that when the Bible talks about lands, it's talking about the Sephiroth, because each Sephirah is a land, a different dimension, a different mode of being, a different place, a different earth, a different vehicle of the soul. So Geburah receives the powers of Christ. The second logos within it. The divine soul receives all the Christic energy because that's why Geburah not only relates to Mars but with the sun. The solar logos. There is Bedelium and Onyx stone there which are the ethereal fluids relating to willpower and imagination. And so these etheric fluids in our vital body the river Pison are relating to willpower and imagination, the ability to concentrate and the ability to visualize, which is why we work with this ether very deeply in our studies. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the reflecting ether. And what is a reflecting ether? It relates to all the powers associated with sensorial and psychic perceptions. Reflecting ether relates to willpower, and imagination. So these two are very deeply integrated, related. So Gihon, the reflecting ether, the same is it that encompasses the whole land of Ethiopia, which is that dimension relating to Chesed, the spirit, a land that is perceptible through harnessing the sensorial and psychic perceptions relating to the senses of sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell. The spiritual, extrasensorial perceptions belong to Chesed, the spirit. Ethiopia as a land relates to the Seferah Chesed and Kabbalah. And the name of the third river is Hidikel, the chemical ether, which is the fluidic ethereal forces that go towards the east of Assyria. In the east in Kabbalah it relates to Tifereth. The west is Malkut. Because the sun sets in Malkut, the, e- the sun rises in the east. And Tifereth is associated with Venus and the sun. So what is that chemical ether? It is the element of our vital body that is associated with our biochemistry, catabolism, metabolism, endocrinology, circulation, the assimilation of forces, the excretion and and, uh, removal of waste products from our body, digestion, in which we assimilate nutrition that is essential for our physical bodies and internal bodies. And the fourth river is Euphrates, which is the ether of life, associated with procreation and the maintenance of the species. The positive polarity of this energy is what performs psychogenesis, the creation of the soul, because the physical sexual energy can give birth to a child, or if we know how, can give birth to the Christified soul. So the negative pole of Euphrates, relating to the sexual glands, is the waters ejaculated through fornication, through desire. So we talk about these four rivers relating to the, these different lands, the energies associated with the different sephiroth, which all manifest within Maim, yesod. But that water rises up the spine through Da'at, in order to create the heavens in us, Shamaim, the fiery waters, which are the Akasha. And if you're familiar with Hinduism, Akasha is the solar acoustic energy within the atmosphere, within the space. I had one experience many years ago where I woke up in the astral plane and I flew up to the sky looking to invoke a master. And I remember passing through a certain layer in the clouds and when I was looking down at my home I saw babies, large, gigantic children playing with water in the sky. So those are the fiery waters in which the soul, the child of alchemy, can be born. So they're showing me that those Akashic waters in the atmosphere that permeate the space and the clouds are a type of water from which, in the cosmological scale of things, descend into materiality in order to create life. The same principle applies to a matrimony, where those waters of Yesod can be inebriated by the fire of love. In that way, you give birth to the child of alchemy, the soul. So, Mem pr- contains the four rivers of Eden, the waters of life, as also the potentiality to give birth to the heavens within oneself, Shamaim and Maim. So, the lower Eden is precisely the Sephirota Sod which receives all the vital forces from above, because physically we receive all the powers of the heavens, through runes, like the rune man, is, ehwaz tila, ur, ario, man, and sig. We're bringing the forces down from above, from the akasha, into our mind, our body, descending down to our cossacks, as we do with the seven runes themselves. And then with the power of a the fire of sex, we b- return it back to the source. So we also have the ten Sephiroth in this image, transposed with the word Malakim in Hebrew. So what is a malek? It's a king, as we explained in our previous arcana. We can transpose the Hebrew letter associated with Malakim, kings or angels, on the Tree of Life. Mem is water, as we said. That Mem also relates to the unmanifested absolute, the 13th letter, the 13th Aeon, which is within the Ain, the unmanifested absolute, from which descends the forces of the Christ through the and to the Saf or, signified by Lamed. So the 12th Arcanum, we talked about Lamed, the descent of the forces from above, down, the Tree of Life, through the Hanged Man, the Apostle. Kaf is the crown, the head, from which we find Keter Hokma Abinah. Keter begins with Kaf, the crown. And those forces descend down the tree of life into entering Yasod, which is Yod Mem. Yod is the sperm or ovum, as we explained previously, and Mem is the waters. So all the power of the kings, of the Absolute, descends down our tree of life, our spine, into our sexual glands. And if we want to become Malakim, we've got to return up those forces. Yod, yod Mem relates to Yam, which can mean day, but also can mean sea, ocean, waters. So the words of a solar man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. So what is that solar man? It's a Malakim, a king or angel who controls the waters of Mem, sex that descends from the Absolute, from the Ain Safor, the limitless light, into creation, the world of at Keter Hukma Bina, the crown. Because all the powers of the heavens are within our head of Keter, which we invoke through runes. We're assimilating the solar light into our body, into our cuff, our crown. And then by taking the waters of life, such as the rune Man, we're taking the waters of energies and circulating it up from below to above and above to below, so that we flow with the current of life. So, what are these waters that we need to work with? Again, is sexual, but also relates to the cosmos. The Quran speaks very beautifully about this uh, principle of how those forces from above descend and then reascend in order to gain knowledge and experience. It is He who sends forth the winds as harbingers of His mercy. So what are those winds? It's the prana, the air we breathe when we work with ma- in a matrimony, which we pronounce through sacred sounds and mantras through da'at, which when we learn to pronounce those sacred sounds, those mantras, we raise through the heat of copulation, the seminal vapors which rise up the spine to the mind, forming clouds, from which the lightning of Christ emerges it descend into our heart. Those are symbols of transmutation given in the Quran, the mystical doctrine of Islam. When they bear rain-laden clouds, we drive them toward a dead land and send down water on it. And with it, we bring forth all kinds of crops, like wheat, like the grain. And that dead land, that body that was sterile from fornication, is now rejuvenated with the virtues and health of the soul. Through alchemy, through transmutation. We bring forth all kinds of crops. Thus shall we raise the dead. Maybe you will take admonition. So, as I explained to you, the 13th letter of Kabbalah, Mem, relates to the 13th Aeon, the Ain. The letter Mem relates to death and immortality. Because through the seminal matter is how we are born as a spirit or as we die as an ego, as a soul. So the thirteen neons relate to the Ain, which we can experience or approach in meditation. Which is a form of space. It is the darkness of the abyss, which to us is darkness, but for those who develop spiritual insight, learn to perceive its true nature, which is uncreated light, the light of the absolute which is the light of Christ. So we'll talk more about the 13th Aeon and many other aspects of the Tree of Life in future lectures. But to conclude, we'll just mention that in order to become a Malakim, one has to work with the waters and the death of the ego, which we do through exercises of retrospection meditation, as we explain in our course on Gnostic meditation. If you have any questions? Well, that's a good question because um, technically we state that desire is ego. But what does it mean to desire virtue? I think it's better if we use for the sake of terminology longing. The longing to be more altruistic to be virtuous. is a quality of the consciousness. The soul that wants to become better. The soul that wants to become better. Not the ego. So I said like that Teachings by, I think it was some Christian pastor, I won't mention his name, who says, become a better you. Obviously, conventionally, we, wanna, we do want to become better. We want to be more virtuous. But who wants to become more virtuous is the question. Is it the ego or is it the soul? Even the ego desires to learn to do good things. But it's egotistical. If you really scrutinize the mind, you look in yourself to see what is it, in me that wants this so it's all a matter of discrimination but the soul longs to know divinity and to be better to be more developed so that the being can yes and to observe what in you is going on because your being will show you what real virtue is Yeah, in a sense we say longing is natural, to long for something. The soul longs to be better or to develop. But strictly when we say, I want, I crave, I need, 97% of the time is ego, is desire, egotism. This is what happened. And that relates to the study of astrology, which we study and practice. Certain things you can look at that explain certain behaviors, because the zodiac associates not only with um, the personality or the consciousness, but also the being. So, the levels of application of those 12 zodiacal signs associated with Archonim 12. Yeah, and you sense by doing certain activities that you feel like you're at work typing. I know I, I type a lot for my job. I sense my, my mind getting tired. So that's a good indication that means, okay, take a break, do something else. Listen to music, yeah. do some sports, or do something physically active. So if you're thinking a lot, that's the, obviously the imbalance. Is the end of yeah, and the emotions is more thinking through the heart too much, feeling too much getting too upset, being imbalanced emotionally, feeling insecure, being fearful. And too much of the motor brain is physically you're depleted. You need to rest. Some people get that second wind when they work out, where even though they know they're exhausted, they keep pushing through because they want to train for some kind of Olympic sport or whatnot. So you get that sense. Sometimes people get second wins when they work with their intellect or their emotions. The problem is that when someone does that, when the energies of the day that are deposited within the intellect, the heart, or the body, when they're depleted, in order to keep functioning, that brain will steal energy from the other centers. Yeah. So the intellect will start taking sexual energy, which has not been modified through transmutation, and send it to the brain, which will damage it. This is why people get, you know, when they work their intellect too much, they get sick mentally. Likewise with the heart or the body. The brain will start to steal energy from the other centers. So that it creates this balance. The way that you balance your centers is through intuition, being more aware of how you feel mentally, emotionally, physically, and just judging yourself and knowing your body, knowing your mind. You can also meditate. You can get a sense of what activities are perhaps a little bit draining. That's why meditation is so fundamental, because you learn to silence all three brains, relax everything so that you can look inside and see what's going on. So I recommend that throughout the day, take the time to pause at work, if you, even just for a minute. Sit, close your eyes, relax, breathe deep, and just examine yourself. Imagine, you, examine your mind, your heart, your body. See what's going on. And you may feel that, okay, perhaps I should take a break from my intellectual work or balance my emotional center with good music. You know, I have an iPod I bring to work. And, you know being that I work with some difficult clients at times. I, take break, I have certain periods or breaks in my day where I can sit and relax a little bit and examine myself, especially since the work I do is intellectual. So find harmony in that way. You take time to relax. That's why Salma Yon-Vior says, take the time throughout the day to relax, breathe, observe. And you sense more and more with practice which center you tend to use most? And most of us have a dispensation towards one brain or the other, typically. Some people may be in the intellect. Some people emotions. Some people the body. Which is why in Alice in Wonderland you have the Mad Hatter, someone who abused the intellectual center too much. is insane. Like the Disney cartoon. A very unhappy on birthday. And the mind is just so diseased doesn't make any sense. You, know, you lose the sense of things. It's hard to interpret things. It's hard to read. That's the intellect. You have the Queen of Hearts relating to the emotional center, which is always angry all the time. She says in the cartoon or the movie or whatnot, "Off with his head!" Always wants to kill people because the emotions is so distraught. That's the emotional brain that's been abused. And then the the White Rabbit is the instinctive type of person, someone who uses the motor, instinctive, sexual brain impulsively. He's always like, "I'm late." I'm late for a very important date. Always rushing around, running around, doing things, never sitting still. Is just so caught up in the mind, or better said, the, the body and sensations, that one needs to simply just relax. So those are the three types of people that are imbalanced based on the three brains. So the way that you find balance, more importantly, is learn to use your three centers well. Use the other ones when you feel that you need to shift gears. And work on the ego. Because without the death of the ego... The causes of imbalance will always be present.
2: So besides meditation and mantra, you would have to suggest like classical music and, and reading like, you know, something
1: words Good books, good literature, scripture, listen to good music, classical, you know. And physically you can do the sacred rites of rejuvenation that we've been teaching. As well as, uh, personally, I, I go to a gym, I exercise sometimes, go run. You know, anything to not use the intellect so much, or the mind, or the heart. And it also matters what we pay attention to, Because so just... that will destroy the mind too. Watching films of great violence and bloodshed and whatnot. No one's, uh, well, a fallen angel is, uh, all of us are fallen. We're all evil, perverse. We've created the ego and our state of suffering. A fallen angel is different. You know, most people never created the solar bodies before.
2: Enoch.
1: He's mentioned, he's talked about principles relating to the book of Enoch. But going back to the topic of fallen angels, a malakim is a person who created solar astral, solar mental, solar causal bodies. They worked in a matrimony. Now, they may have still been working in the ego when they fell. So they had to start up their work again from the bottom. They still have those bodies created from matrimony. They were mortal. They belonged to God. But they recreated the ego again. They made it fatter. There are some who finished the entire work self-realized, reached the Ain Saf, were resurrected. And yet, when the human soul was incarnated in a body, was tempted again by sex and fell, became a demon again. It happens a lot. Those are fallen bodhisattvas, fallen angels, fallen malakim, who are very dangerous because they knew the light and yet they betrayed it. So just because you self-realize doesn't mean that you're safe, because as long as one is in this universe, one can fall. But if you reach the thirteenth aeon, go beyond the Ainsolf, there's no falling there. You just you return to the, the heights. But fallen abilities ofas are a big topic amongst Gnostic schools, because many people like are curious, like they wonder who they who they were in a past life. Perhaps they ask. I want to fall on bodhisattva, but the way that you figure that out or know that your being will show you, give you experiences. If that's the case, most people are, you don't find many of them amongst most groups, but you do find a lot, there are there are a number of them, and I personally would not advise seeking them out because they're they're evil. I mean, they they knew the light, they fell, they may be repentant and working again, trying to become. Risen again, and they will rise again eventually, if the being wants it.
2: So, what 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 do you feel is going to happen with all these people that are worshiping like um, like Lucifer and then like
1: the you know that their their demons, their ego? Well, you know, people who worship the fallen Lucifer, which is the ego in every person, they devolve. they go down the lunar way. We don't really worship Lucifer in this teaching. I mean, Lucifer, we have to distinguish from the, the ego. He's a tool. Remember that Dante and Virgil climbed the back of Lucifer to escape from the ninth sphere. Because Dante knew that in order to ascend to heaven, you got to climb the back of the spine and conquer your inner ego step by step, vertebra by vertebra. So Lucifer is our best friend, but also our worst enemy. You need him to tempt you. But you have to pray, lead me not into temptation, Father, but deliver me from all evil. Because Lucifer will, will give you the ordeal and try to trick you with the obvious purpose of trying to get us to work on the ego to see what needs to be eliminated. And that will be a, our topic of our condom 15, uh, two lectures from now. Yeah. So the lower, th- yeah, the, lo- the lower trinity it relates to the world of yetzirah world of formation, which well, is the solar bodies, the human being, all the four right? And those rivers relate to the upper Sephiroth, but also Yesot. especially.